if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be over in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. And uh, you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app as well. And uh, while you're turning over to Leviticus 16, uh, you know, it is a little bit of a challenge, as Cody said, um, going through Leviticus, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen all these kind of details that God is given to his people. You know, here's what you're to do for sacrifices. Here's what you're to do for offerings. Here's what the priest is supposed to wear. And in the beginning of this, we talked about God giving the people this gift of the sacrificial system. And it really was. It was an opportunity for the people to have their sins atoned for. It gave them the opportunity to be cleansed from their sin. And this points to a a sacrifice that was to come, one that was even greater than the sacrifice we see at the beginning of Leviticus. Last week, we talked about the, the priest, and we talked about all the little details that go into what the priest was supposed to do, and we saw the, the details of their robes and the garments they were to wear, the way they were to perform the sacrifices for the people, all these little details that set them apart. It set them apart in their task. It set them apart in what they were called to do. They were called to be the people who would intercede on behalf of God. And the people, they were the ones who were to offer the sacrifices that would bring atonement. They had a very important job, a very important task. And we see that this points to one who would come, who would be the great high priest, who would intercede on his people's behalf. He sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for his people. And now we find ourselves in Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, we, we read about something known as Yom Kippur, as we've probably heard it called, the Day of Atonement. It was and is still today the most important day of the year on the Jewish calendar. It's the center of the book of Leviticus, and you might be looking at the number of chapters in Leviticus and say that's not directly center, but remember they didn't have chapter numbers, and for them this was the center of Leviticus. And really, it is the center. It is kind of the culmination of everything we've been talking up, about up to this point in regards to the cleansing and atoning of sin. And this day of atonement is such an important day for the nation of Israel because this is a day where the slate is wiped clean. The sins of the people, the sins of the nation are removed It really reiterates the fact that God is committed to his people. He is in their presence. He is dwelling with his people. He's committed to them. And it's such an important text for us this morning. Not only is it the center of Leviticus, it's the center of the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy with Leviticus found right in the middle. And so it is the center of the center in this important text. And it's important not just for the people of Israel, it's important for us. It's important for us because it doesn't just represent, or didn't just represent something important for them, it represents something important for us today. And so we're going to go to Leviticus 16, and we're going to start in the first two verses. And it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. 
The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So these first two verses set up this chapter with a command from God. You see, Aaron's son, if you recall, his sons in chapter 10 of Leviticus go before God in an unauthorized manner and are struck down with fire. And imagine the shock of the people here. You know, there's consequence for not following the commands of the Lord, for disobeying the Lord and what he had told the priest that they are to do. And the people must be thinking, man, if this happened to the priest, if this is what happens for their mistake, what happens to us? How do we approach God? God is dwelling in the midst of his people, but God is a powerful God, and there are rules and there are commands that God has given his people and how they are to approach. And so how is Aaron supposed to approach the Holy of Holies? And God tells Moses, listen, you need to tell Aaron he can't just come into the Holy of Holies whenever he chooses. If he does, he would be exposed to the divine glory of God and he would die. And so only the high priest was to enter the Holy of Holies and there was to be a time when Aaron can enter the Holy of Holies. And that is on this day, the Day of Atonements. We see that this was such an important thing. He is not to go before God whenever he chooses, but he is to follow God's command in his time. And so how? How is he supposed to approach God? What is he supposed to do? Well, verses 3 through 5 tells us. It says, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And so we see this command from God. Tell Aaron he's not allowed to just enter whenever he pleases. No, instead he's supposed to come in in this way. And he describes here the way that Aaron is to enter into the Holy of Holies. And the first thing he needs to do is he needs to bring animals in with him. It says that there are five required here. For the high priest and his family, it required a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. For the people of Israel, it would require two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron was to put on, uh, he was to bathe himself with water at the bronze basin. This was an act of sanctification. He's cleansing himself, and then he would put on these garments. He would wear clothes that were different than normal. When he represented God before the people, he would wear the outfits we talked about last week, the robe of color and glory But here, as a representative of the people before God, he came wearing an outfit consisting of a linen tunic, linen undergarments, and a linen sash with a linen turban. What's interesting is this outfit seems to be even more plain than the outfit of an ordinary priest. In Exodus 39, 27-29, it tells us, For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver, and the turban of fine linen, the linen caps and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord commanded Moses. seems this outfit speaks of humility before God. Humility in this moment before 
God. And so we see this is how he is to enter before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. And then in verses 6 through 10, we see more of this preparation. It says Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And so these are verses of preparation. We see how he is to approach the Lord, and now we see what is going to take place. This is a detailed structure of here's what is going to happen after we, you know, after you are ready, after you are prepared. Aaron is to offer the bull as a sin offering to make atonement for him and his family. And then he's to take the two goats and he's to cast lots to see which goat will be offered to God for the people as a sin offering and which one will be a scapegoat. And so this is our, pre- our preparation. Now we get into the actual events, the offerings themselves. In verse 11, it says, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin, or sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the table or tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. And so the offerings begin. We start with the sin offering for the high priest and for his family. It would make sense that he would need to start with this one. He can't be offering sin offerings for the people. He couldn't be a mediator offering a sin offering for the people until he had offered a sin offering for himself and for his family. And we see that he takes a censer full of burning coals from the altar that is before the Lord. Maybe you've never seen a censer. I think there's a picture up here somewhere, uh, should be, of what a censer would look like. If not, you can... There it is. Um, he, would deta- or he was to take this censer full of burning coals from the altar that is before the Lord, along with two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, Exodus 30, 34 through 36 talks about something similar. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, anika, galabin, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense. The work of a perfumer is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. This is really interesting. Why would he have to do this? Well, the reason would be is the smoke would create a smoke screen. He can't go in and see the glory of God. And so this smoke screen would keep him from seeing the glory of God and preventing death from falling upon him. And he was to take the blood from the bull. And for the most part, he would follow the ritual from Leviticus chapter 4, however, with a bit of difference. Instead, on the front of the curtain and before the incense altar, Aaron would take the blood into the most holy place and put it on and before the atonement cover. Then in verse 15, it says, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. 
In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then it says, he shall come out to the altar as before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. He's the slaughter, Aaron is, to slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people. It's, previous, it's similar to the previous verses with the sin offering. Aaron was to take the blood and sprinkle it on and in front of the atonement cover. The purpose of this was to cleanse the sanctuary from all the sins, the uncleanliness, the rebellion of the nation of Israel. And he's to take the blood and he's to do the same thing in the tent of meeting, sprinkle in blood on the objects in the tent for cleansing. Remember, blood was necessary for cleansing. Hebrews 9, 21 and 22, it says, In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And then he was to take the blood from the bull and the goat and use it to cleanse the altar, likely referring here to the altar of burnt offering. And the reason for doing this is to consecrate the altar from the contamination of sin from Israel. Then in verse, chapter, or verse 22, or verse 23, 22, 20, all tongue-tied today. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He has to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. The man shall release it into the wilderness. You see, this is really interesting. Up to this point, it seems very similar. It seems like over the last several weeks, we've kind of been repeating the same thing over and over and over again, this idea of sacrifices and what the offerings were to look like. But in this chapter, we see a little bit of a difference. You see, they were to cast lot over these goats. One of these goats would be used for a sacrifice, a sin offering. The other goat was to be used as a scapegoat. And what he would do, Aaron, he would take this goat and on it he would place all of the sins of all the people. All the sins of the people, known and unknown. All of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the the sin of the people. That is a lot of sin. All placed on this goat. And he would send it out into the wilderness with an appointed person. And the goat would carry all the sins to a remote place and it would be released into the wilderness. This is very important because it's the representation of the sin of the people being carried away, carried off, never to be held against them again. And really what this is is the visual representation of what's been happening with these offerings. We've been reading about them, laying the the bull on the altar and slaughtering them. And what all of this represents is atonement for the people. And this right here, this scapegoat, is a visual representation of what is happening in these offerings, the removal of sin. And imagine what this must have been like for the people. 
Think about this. So far, everything that's been done has been done out of the sight of the people. Yes, there were a few people who would be involved with helping Aaron, but only Aaron could go into the Holy of Holies, so people weren't allowed to be there. And yet now they're seeing the scapegoat out in front of them and watching as their sins are taken away. The goat coming out amongst the people, going past the people, as they watch their sins being taken away. How powerful an image that must have been for the people. It makes me think of Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed the transgressions from us. In verse 23, 23 through 28, it says, And Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood has or was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, their flesh and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he may come into the camp. This brings us to the next phase of the day of atonement, and it's the cleanup. Aaron is now to enter into the tent of meeting to take off these linen garments and leave them there. He's to wash up and put on his official robes. He would then take the two rams and offer up burnt offerings before the Lord, one for him and his household and the other for the people of Israel. He would burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar as well. And everyone who had been involved with helping with the sacrifice must also be washed and cleansed. And the bull and the goat for the sin offering had to be taken out of the camp and burned up. And it says this is to be a lasting ordinance, verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do no work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place for the tents of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. And so here we wrap up this day of atonement. Most commentators would say, what does this mean, the the tenth day of the seventh month? They say it would be in October for us if we were to look at our calendar And this was to be an important day. It was a day of Sabbath rest. The people were not to work on this day. And it says that the people were to deny themselves. This is likely referring to or includes fasting. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there seems to be a pattern with this day. Leviticus 16, it starts with a command. He's not to enter in whenever he pleases. It starts with a time. He cannot go in whenever he pleases, but there will be a time for him to come in. And then there's a time of preparation, and then there's a time of offering, and there's a time of cleanup, and then it ends with a time and a command. 
just the way it started with a command and time. Now it ends with time and a command. You are to do this every year. Each and every year you are to do the same thing. And this would be a day of atonement. Your sins would be wiped away. It would be a day where the slate would be cleaned. And you know, we've been talking about this a lot lately, the sacrificial system. And why it's so important. In this chapter, it really kind of moves us from one part of Leviticus to the next. But we really do need to think about what takes place in these first few chapters of Leviticus. It really is an incredible gift from a very gracious God. Think about it. God could have just said, I'm done with you. He was tempted at one point. I can't go, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land because I might just destroy you. And he could. He could easily said, I'm done with you. I'm going to wipe you away. And if he did say that, he would, have been, he would have been justified in that. But no. Instead, he gives his people the opportunity to have their sins cleansed. And it is a very gracious gift. But here's the thing. While this was good, it points in the direction of something greater to come. A preview of something greater to come. And so what is that? This morning, that's what I want us to look at. This culmination, the Day of Atonement, it's an important day, and a lot of it seems very familiar to what we've read, but it's important because it points to something greater to come, a preview of something greater to come. What is that? What is that greater thing that's to come? Well, for starters, a better high priest. This points us, it leads us, it previews for us a better high priest who is to come. You see, Aaron is the first Levitical high priest. He was Moses' older brother. He played an important part in the history of the nation of Israel, and he had a very important task that he was to do. But here's the thing with Aaron. Aaron wasn't perfect. Aaron made mistakes. What about the whole golden calf thing? He did have a little bit of jealousy towards his brother as well. You see, because of this, he had to offer sacrifices for him and his family before he could atone for the sacrifices of others. And not only was this the case, but there was also the fact that the job was only temporary because Aaron would eventually die and somebody else would take his place. And then guess what? Somebody else would have to take that person's place. But then we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he is the better high priest. And he's better because he was a man who was without sin, pure, blameless, as Hebrews 7 tells us. In Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus was tempted in each and every way, and he did not sin. He is separated from the other high priest. This makes him unique. And you see, there was no longer a need for multiple priests. He took on that role by himself. Hebrews seven twenty three through 24. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but because Jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood he is alive today he is not in a grave his bones are not still in the grave no he is alive today he sits at the right hand of his father he intercedes on the behalf of his people he is the better high priest what else does this preview for us 
Well, you see, it previews that there was a superior sanctuary. A superior sanctuary. You see, the tents, this tabernacle, it was also a gift as well because it was God being in the midst of the people. He was dwelling with his people, but it was just an earthly sanctuary. You see, only the priest could go into the tent of meeting and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and he could only do that one day a year. And why is that? Because you see, God's standard of holiness and the sinful nature of the people create a divide. There was this divide. And because of this, God may have dwelled in the midst of his people, but there was a separation. But then there's Jesus. And because of Jesus' death and blood he shed, and because of his resurrection, he offered atonement in a more superior sanctuary, a heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews 9.11 tells us this, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. Hebrews 9.24, it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. You want to see there's something even greater about this. Not only did he enter into this better sanctuary, but also those who choose to put their faith in Jesus have the confidence to enter the most holy place. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The Gospels point to something similar. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark fifteen thirty-eight. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Luke twenty-three forty-five. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Because of Jesus, we have access to a far superior sanctuary. And there's a reason for this. This points us to something that is even greater than what we see here in Leviticus 16, and it's a a permanent sacrifice. Leviticus 16 points us, directs us, previews for us a permanent sacrifice. Here's the truth that you already know. This sin defiles people. It does. Sin defiles us. It stains us. I like how Michael DeFazio puts it. He says sin is sticky. It sticks to you. Your sin, it sticks with you, it stains you, it covers you, it defiles you. Jeremiah 2.22, although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. And here's the thing, sin means that we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God who detests sin. He can. God is holy and righteous and good and he is all of these things that we are not and we are covered in sin and he detests sin and because of this, we cannot be in his presence. It required something be done. We needed atonement and it required a sacrifice. You see, here's the thing about sacrifice and atonement. It's costly. Sacrifice and atonement is costly. It's not free. It requires great cost. 
And David gives us a glimpse of this. In 2 Samuel 24, Gad tells David to, to go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranaz, the Jebusite. And this man was just going to give him the threshing floor and the oxen and everything that he needed for the burnt offering. He had everything he needed. But in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David tells him, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing, bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. You see, it was of great cost. And sacrifice requires great cost. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks, all the offerings except the grain offering require one thing. It requires death. The blood was needed for different things. The offering called for all the parts of the animal to be placed on an altar. You want to talk about costly. What is more costly than death? And the animal was taken on the sin of a person and so to speak of the necessity for death. And which is so fitting because sin often equates with death, is it not? It's often talked about in the same light. Ezekiel 18.4, For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And what a gift God gave the people. The sacrificial system, the day of atonement, opportunities for their sins to be cleansed, opportunities for forgiveness. The day of atonement was a yearly occasion for a reason. They needed it every year for a reason. The offerings had to be given often for a reason. Because from the time that man fell short at the very beginning, we have been defiled with sin and we have this sinful nature in us. And over and over and over we stumble, we fall short of the glory of God. We've been defiled from sin. And these animal sacrifices were required over and over and over. But then Jesus, Jesus came, he lived, he died, his blood was shed. He was a sacrifice. He offered himself up. Hebrews 7.27, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. His sacrifice was just that. It was one and done, permanent, permanent. Hebrews 9.12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Romans 6.10, The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He was the sacrifice who came, who lived, who died, his blood poured out for us. And here's the good news this morning. Because of this, we have forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, we've been talking about this so much lately. It seems like we've just been reading the same verses and talking about the same things over and over and over again over the last three weeks. But here's the thing. So often we read these verses and so often we forget exactly what it is that God has done for us. We forget it so easily what Jesus has done for us, the sacrifice, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us, his resurrection and what that means for us. We so often forget 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they make their way up here, I want to ask you this morning, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand this morning what God has rescued you from this morning? This day of atonement, this day of wiping the slate clean. It was done so that his people could have forgiveness, that there could be atonement. And then he sent his son, the great high priest who brings us into a superior sanctuary and he gives us eternal redemption to those who put their faith in him. I love how Timothy Keller puts it. He says, Jesus was the temple to end all temples, the priest to end all priests, and the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. It was one and done. He came, he lived, he died so that we can be forgiven. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been falling into this divide. There's this divide between you and God, your sins, the file you have stained you and you have yet to give your life to him. You have yet to receive that redemption that comes only through Jesus. If that's you this morning, on your connect card, you can write it down. I'd love to talk with you. You can come up here. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and like so many of us, we just forget what it is he's done for us. We let the enemy lie in our ears. We, we let the enemy sway us away from what God has done for us. And if that's the case, maybe this morning what you need to do is just right where you're sitting, give that to God. Maybe this morning you just need to lay that out or you can come up here. I'd love to pray with you. There's brothers and sisters here who would love to pray with you. Man, God is good. God is good. And so many people want to say that, you know, Cody mentioned it a little bit. Why would God go through all these meticulous things? Why would God have them do all of these things just so that they can receive atonements? You see, as we said, atonement, sacrifice, it costs a great deal. And he could have just easily said, I'm not going to give you any opportunity. I'm not going to give you the option at all. You can be done. I can be done with you. But he doesn't do that. And he sent his son for us. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him, if you need to make a decision, I pray that you do so as we stand and we sing this morning.